The Start On Demand. On demand. The latest round of proposed loosened restrictions from the province is in. What's your take? We'll speak to the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce and find out what questions they are asking and what concerns they might have. We continued our Global News Health series today on mental health during COVID-19, specifically focusing today on teenagers. We learned about a Winnipeg Police canine memorial that's in the works. And what's your favorite TV house? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Friday, February 5th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb. It's cold, but it's Friday, and GMAC is back in the saddle. Hi, Greg. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Loren. Morning. How are we? We are fine. It's great I don't to know be why back. I used the collective we there, because that's not really asking you a question, is it? <laughs> no. How are we doing? Good. I don't answer. I'm moving on. I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm answering on behalf of all of us. I'm assuming that we are all fine. I, I'm great. It's good to be back uh, just in time for Friday. That's right. Hey, it's Friday. I always feel better on a Friday. Producer Sky, by the way, in for producer Jeff Forte, who's going to take a couple of days to rest up that kind of broken wrist, as he put it. So hello there, Sky. Hello. (laughs) It's very muted. It's Friday, Sky. Try it again. Try it again. Well, hello. (laughs) There it is. There it is. So we got some... Uh, you know, what at, on the surface sounded like potentially good news yesterday in the form of uh, maybe loosened restrictions next week. But as uh, we very quickly learned, Greg, uh, it might not be so great for a lot of businesses. Yes, uh, obviously the opportunity to reopen and to generate some additional revenue on the surface sounds as though it would be a good thing. But... I'm going to suspect, Loren, and I've had some conversations with folks in the business, as it might not surprise you to learn, that many uh, restaurants at the 25% opening, uh, if that in fact comes to fruition, are maybe just continue with the takeout and delivery businesses that they've established over the last three months. They don't want to pivot yet again. The 25% sounds appetizing from the outside, but if you've already pivoted once and come up with a system that seems to be working for pickup and delivery and for takeout, then uh, I'm hearing that a lot of businesses on the restaurant side are just going to say, you know what, we'll just wait until we can either open to 50% or more or to the patio. So don't be surprised if your favorite restaurant doesn't open its doors to people sitting at their tables. Or if it just takes this time maybe to do some math. So they've got a few days to figure that out, right? The restrictions don't lift for another week if they do lift. But you're right. I think a lot of people will be doing crunching the numbers this morning and saying, does this even make sense for me to bring in more staff to handle that limited capacity? I think the same might be the situation for many gyms who are trying to figure out where they fit in this equation. And after seven, we're going to speak to the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce because a reminder to everybody, the last time we went through this, we filled out a survey. There was all sorts of options in that survey. Not everything in that survey came to fruition. We were asked to weigh in on restaurants and gyms and bars and sports the last time, and none of those things opened. Uh, and so we could see some tweaks in this in the day, days ahead. It might mean we get more. It might mean we get less. It might mean we, it stays the same. But a lot of people really watching, from what I can see, at least on social media, the restaurant equation, the gym is a big one. And of course, we've had that push to have tattoo parlors and nail salons and all those kinds of things opened. And and so I guess it kind of sits where, Brett, I don't know about you, what, what's next on your list for things that you'd be excited to see reopen? For me with the restaurants, uh, I, I, I took that Engage Manitoba survey yesterday and, and I kind of wish I hadn't because I, I was just happy to see the possibility of restaurants reopening. So I, I, I checked off that, yes, I think this is a sensible, uh, you know, 
a cautious approach, but I hadn't really thought about the fact that 25% probably doesn't work for a lot of restaurateurs. And, uh, but even, even if the restaurants could reopen, my excitement, uh, was quickly stifled by the fact that you could only go to a restaurant with someone in your household. So I would just be going to sit at a bar in a restaurant by myself, which I guess would still be cool. You'd be nice to be able to walk into a restaurant, sit down and have a meal that's prepared and then eat it immediately rather than sit in my car and eat it like I'm going to, I'm probably going to go to Frankie's tomorrow and Joe's got this new uh, chicken sandwich and uh, mm. that he told me I need to try. So I'm going to go do that and sit in my car. <laughs> oh, you're like his test market or something. I feel like he comes in he's like, Brad, I really need you to check in on this. Let me know what you think, you know. See, but, but you know, that you make a point about going to the bar or, or sitting at the restaurant alone. Now you don't have to think twice about that. If you were one of those people who didn't like to eat alone, well, now you're not supposed to eat with anyone outside your household. So get 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 out of your comfort zone and give it a shot because no one's going to be judging that. They'll be like, "Good for you for the social distancing." <laughs> and you're supporting the restaurants. And another yes. thing with the gyms too that I that I didn't think about. Uh, you know, Joe Scarpelli on Global News did a story with that involved reaction from restaurants and from gyms and gyms like like cycling studios. Mm. The, the, it isn't the entire that's the whole thing it's a group class right that's that's the essence of why you go there are lots of opportunities to go online and to do these classes online but there's something about the energy created just like when we spoke to Boris Lukowicz last week about the energy created from the fans in the stands that's the attraction of going to a spin class as far as I've heard <laughs> I don't know personally but is just that positive reinforcement that you get from being with a group of people so uh, yeah th- realize gyms uh, tattoo parlors and uh, nail uh, salons, these sorts of places, haven't had any opportunity to generate any income over the last several months. Uh, that's the difference between them and restaurants. Restaurants have pivoted, and some of them have created uh, essentially a brand new business for themselves. Many of them never did take out up until either last March or maybe even until last October, November, when this uh, next last round of of code red restrictions began. So th- that's the difference. That's the choice that they have to make uh, in the restaurant world versus some other places, which plain and simply haven't been open, plain and simply haven't been generating any revenue whatsoever. So much to discuss this morning on that front. And we also, at 6.55, we'll get our daily Jets update at 7.55, sounds of the game. Greg, you... Did you stay up for the whole thing? No, I could not. It was impossible for me last night. Uh, I was under the weather yesterday. But let me tell you, the Jets wore those reverse retro jerseys last night. And I think I expressed my disappointment when they were released that they weren't red. I love gray. I love the different shades of blue. I love white. In fact, all the colors on that Jets jersey I have in my home. I've decorated around those colors. Red might have been a little bit too much. I like the way the whole uniform looks. I would say the jersey's good. The uniform is even better. It's nice and crisp. It looks outstanding on the players on the ice. So lots of people backpedaling on social media last night about their initial response to the retro jerseys, really liking the retro uniform. What do you think of it, Loren? I feel like I'm listening to an episode of like Project Runway or something or whatever that's called. Like it was really crisp. The reds really stood out. I like the way you held your head as you came out for the face off. I thought the poise was excellent. Next time, maybe you could pair it with a different pair of skates. But other than that, digged it. Dug it. Dug it. <laughs> the skates really made the outfits. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb want to continue the TV theme. Last week, we talked about your favorite TV towns, and this was inspired by Loren watching Parenthood, which uh, uh, was an old NBC show from a few years back, and it co-stars Lauren Graham, who was in Gilmore Gilmore Girls, pardon me, and uh, what was the name of their town? Yeah, so that made me think that I would love to live in Star Hollows, because that was the, the town... Uh, the fake town in Gilmore Girls, but the house in that town and also the house even in Parenthood that the grandparents live in are all magical. So it made me think, like, what is the TV house that you look at and think, A, I'd love to live in it, or, like, what's around the corner? You know how there's, like, the certain homes where you're like, what? If you went through that door, what's 
is, there, is that a dining room, a pantry, a pool? I don't know. Well, so, yeah. Which uh, should I? Well, let's start with you then, Loren. Uh, should I just hit this clip? Well, I want to preface it by saying I only want to stay in this house if you hear this every time the doorbell rings. Yeah! <laughs> I love it. Can you imagine if that was someone comes to your house to visit and you're living in the 90210 house? Is this the Walsh's house you want to live in? This is the Walsh's house. I liked it for this this reason only. As a kid growing up, there was four kids in my family and bathroom time was at a premium. And I was so jealous of the Walsh twins who had that shared washroom that connected their rooms. I was like, how cool is that? That's basically (laughs) my benchmark for a nice house is if you can have your own space. Hey, every every TV house had its own little quirks that made you go, man, that looks cool. So that's a great pick. And uh, anytime I hear that, guitar riff my day is instantly That's pretty made much better. my only reason to pick that one to be honest <laughs> uh so we've got cam Poitras here as well jeff braun sky neller in for jeff forte co-host of the couch potatoes jeff braun uh, what what's your choice um i'm going back to, well it's the same thing that i picked for favorite town and it's magnum pi's house in hawaii <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. obsession <laughs> It's a Robin Masters estate, of course, where he just like uh, lives because he quote unquote works there. But it's a giant palatial estate with its own private beach. It's got a huge lawn with the size of like five football fields, and of course, it's a mansion. And it's in Hawaii, so it's it's that thing where you, you sometimes see it in pictures of fancy houses, and it's so um, exotic compared to you know the necessities of what we have to live in in a cold weather climate where it, you, some rooms you're not sure if they're inside or outside and everything just flows like that because you can because the air is the same temperature wherever you go inside or outside and I just love that sort of thing it looks so good I wish I was there right now man that's a pretty solid sales pitch <laughs> I wanted I what did Liz Lemon used to say on 30 <laughs> Rock I want to go there so yeah, I want to go to there. <laughs> I want to go to there. Yes. Okay. Cam Poitras, what about you? Uh, well, here we go. Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain. I can't hear you. Aye, aye, Captain. <laughs> oh, <laughs> who lives in a pineapple under Yes, <laughs> I want to live under the sea in Bikini Bottom <laughs> with SpongeBob, Patrick, Squidward, Mr. Krabs, all my favorite characters. I uh, watch a humiliating amount of SpongeBob. I fall asleep oh. to SpongeBob at least three or four times in a, uh, a week. Really? Oh, I, I love SpongeBob. Do you want to live I under the sea it. so you don't have to wear shoes? Yes, yes. Uh, that would help. That would really help with sand between my toes. Uh, no, like, uh, you know, it's, but it's a close, uh, the pineapple, it's a close second is Patrick's Rock, which is next door neighbor. <laughs> Patrick Starr's rock that he lives under. <laughs> lives Why are you watching this rock. much SpongeBob? I love SpongeBob. It's I absolutely. I grew up. Well, they, listen. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm turning thirty this year. I grew up with SpongeBob in his. It was in his heyday in the first three seasons, which was like my favorite show of all time. And uh, I still laugh. Like if I'm sick at home, I will sit there and la- I like just giggle to myself as I watch. Like if you're a SpongeBob fan, you know Band Geeks is one of the greatest episodes in television history. I'm not a SpongeBob fan, but that's not because I don't like it. It just was out of my like. I, I didn't grow up watching SpongeBob. Anytime I, I happen to t- turn it on, I enjoy it. So there, there you go. That's a great choice, though. Under the sea, yes, with the creatures of SpongeBob. Producer <laughs> Sky and for Forte, what about you? Oh, good choice. Just let me be in Miami with my sassy girlfriends. <laughs> let us wear shoulder pads. Let us eat ice cream and pie in the kitchen together and cheesecake at midnight. And let us be happy, sassy friends. That is a mantra for living your best life right there. I love that. It's a beautiful house as well. I think they all have their own bathroom. It's like they all have their own wing. Yeah. Amazing place. Beautifully upholstered. The upholstery is fantastic. Timeless. Timeless. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Great choice. Great choice, guy. Greg Mackling, what about you? Well, this, if for no other reason. Here's the story of a lovely lady. <laughs> yes. who for was the olive green appliances. All of them talking about hair of gold. Timeless like beauty. 
Yes, the Brady Bunch house and Loren. It's ironic that you mentioned the Walsh's connecting bathroom, the Jack and Jill bathroom, is it sort yeah. of known? Well, the Brady Bunch had that also, except it was six of them that had to share it. See, I don't, that's not what I'm in for, no. No, but at least it was that unique uh, architectural yeah. feature. And, of course, Mr. Brady was an architect. And I always wondered, where did you said, behind that door, I always wondered, where did Alice live? They insinuated that she lived in the house. I don't know if they ever showed her quarters, so to speak. Uh, but, uh, yes, of course, the Brady Bunch house was uh, everybody's favorite growing up in my generation and uh, I would love to live that uh, life in California. The backyard was spectacular. I think they had uh, artificial turf, so you never had to cut the grass. So that was good, too. That's <laughs> where I was going to say that the, the turf to me makes sense. I feel like I wish that would make a comeback. Yeah, it looks great, the turf. Yeah, let's just replace our lawns with some AstroTurf. <laughs> well, you know, when Joe, uh, when Joe Namath comes along to throw the football around, yeah. <laughs> It happens all the time. Uh, and this would be my pick. I like uh, Rachel and Monica's apartment. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's a nice place. I like the the window. It looks kind of, you know, romantic or whatever. I just, in terms of a... I know it's not, like, as fantastical as Magnum P.I.'s palatial estate in Hawaii, but for uh, for a nice little apartment... I think this would be a good spot. So. I, want, I want to know how they afford that place on a waitress and a chef's salary. It's uh, rent control. Oh, okay. Because it's actually it's Monica's grandma's grandma. place. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, and I so, never watch Friends, so I don't even know that. Okay, so but I'm going to switch you straight here. New York yeah. has rent control, okay. and so they're actually squatting illegally. They're actually, <laughs> okay. yeah, they're actually breaking the law. <laughs> in that apartment, did you not ever wonder, Brett, what was in that door? You know, when you, as soon as you walk in, there's yep. the bathroom, and then there's that back door by the deck or the patio or whatever you want to call it. Was that storage? What was yes, in there? Yes, that was Monica's dirty little secret. Yeah, they did an episode on it. Oh, I missed when that When they were one. looking for the Christmas gifts. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is time to continue our Global News Health series on mental health during COVID-19. It's a two-week series. We started it on Monday. It goes Monday, Wednesday, Friday of this week. Same next week on CJOB and on our sibling stations right across the country, Greg. On Monday, we discuss social isolation and suicide prevention. Wednesday, with our own very, uh, very own Kristen Field-Jones, we talked about how we are hardwired to be with other people. It's in our DNA, goes back a long, long way. And some of the topics we'll look at next week, Loren, they include exercise and stress and mental illness and addiction during COVID. But for today, we're wanting to take a look at Canadian teens who are growing up in this pandemic. The global health crisis will likely serve as an unforgettable bookmark in an adolescent chapter of their life. And with no end in sight to that uncertainty that comes with this pandemic, we're asking how are teens coping now that we're dealing with months and months of COVID-19. We even talked earlier this week about the idea of a do-over. Is it time to reassess how we continue as we go forward with our teens? Andrew Graham is with Global, and as he explains, the answer is far from simple. For many Canadian teens, their typical morning went from this to this. The pandemic brought on a drastic change to a group of people who are already dealing with critical life transitions, but that doesn't mean everyone is struggling in the same way. That's according to Dr. Javid Sukira, an associate professor of psychiatry and pediatrics at Western University. There are some teens who are actually doing great. They otherwise would not be particularly fond of being in school or um, being in social situations. That stated, there is a large group as well of people who are having a very significant uh, negative effect on their mental health. For those struggling, Sukera says this can mean anxiety or despair. He adds there are also challenges for those moving into adulthood. For many older teens, their whole life begins and ends in the moment. And when you're in a situation where you're facing you know, an unprecedented global stressor like we are, they can get really stuck in that moment and that can lead to significant amount of despair negative mood, uh, and in some cases, tragically, suicidal thinking as well. But every teen has their own unique set of challenges. I think we have to be very careful in making generalizations about large groups of people. 
uh, young people are often stereotyped in negative ways in society. And I think their own voices can help us understand how they're struggling. Liv McNeil is a grade 10 student at Etobicoke School for the Arts. In June, the 15-year-old shared a school project on YouTube. The short film, titled Numb, offered what McNeil describes as a generalization of the feeling of isolation, touching on themes of loneliness and longing for the past. Without a single line of dialogue, McNeil spoke to more than 1.3 million viewers on YouTube. I forget about how many people saw it and actually related to it, and then I get Instagram DMs and people my age or even older telling how they look up to me. And it's so weird, like grade 12s, cool high school kids DMing me and saying, like, this is so cool, I relate to it. McNeil says while the film drew from a sense of despair early in the pandemic, different emotions now fill her outlook. At the beginning, it was so detrimental and I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel at all and it was just awful but after going through everything i kind of feel like i've hit rock bottom and come back up and now i have a lot more hope mcneil says she's adapting to isolation she puts more effort into connecting with friends online has a deeper appreciation for nature and recognizes that video games movies and writing all serve as healthy coping mechanisms for andrea harvey this is an example of teen resilience harvey serves as the mental health lead for the thames valley district school board one of the largest boards in ontario harvey says teens are demonstrating their ability to overcome adversity. Most recently I was privileged to meet with our board student trustees and and the larger student advisory committee and it was clear that they were spending time reflecting on things that made them happy. They're finding creative ways to remain connected with their family and friends and animals and nature, right? All of those things that were really important to them. They're engaging in leisure pursuits. They're reading books. Harvey says another unexpected benefit of the pandemic has been an increased transparency surrounding mental health. People are actually willing to have that conversation. We've created space for people to talk about their mental health and well-being more openly. And instead of pathologizing mental health, we're normalizing the fact that we all have mental health. And our level of functioning day to day is going to be impacted by both our environments and our experiences. The pandemic is far from over and enduring the rest of it will be far from easy. McNeil says nostalgia has become a tough emotion with the 15 year old missing everything she had before COVID-19. It's almost like a distant memory that I don't even remember happening. I can't even fathom that I used to have sleepovers with my friends. Like, that seems illegal now. With vaccines now arriving in Canada, McNeil's expecting a slow return to what life once was. And while there's a long road ahead to greener pastures, the young filmmaker sees hope on the horizon. I'm so looking forward to more self-growth and everything I can do after this, like go to university and just feel free again. Eventually, I'm excited to get to the point where this is just a distant memory. For the 2021 Health Series, I'm Andrew Graham. You know, I think kids are so much more resilient than we give them credit for. I've always believed that kids crave a certain amount of structure. And this might be too much structure for the most part, Loren, with uh, school from home for some and the different ways that they've had to receive their education over the last year. But Man, I, I don't eavesdrop on my kids, but I hear what they're talking about. And I'm so proud of the way they've handled this for the most part. Yeah, I think back um, to the start when I had all those concerns in March and April, uh, just thinking about well, where is this going to take them and this last lack of social interaction and being away from their sports and being away from the school, particularly when it was all shut down in the spring. And then and you watch them learn and grow in that, and you think you keep saying, you know, the kids are all right. And I thought the same thing in the fall, and I think for the most part, I feel the same way now. I just also worry that there are those that are slipping through the cracks that might not have the interaction they so badly need. That schools, the space that they go to to get that help, and they're not maybe getting it right now if they can't get to school as often as you like. So it oh, just it depends on your situation and who you are and how you're handling it. But I I think resilience, man, like like we can make that the word of 2021 and move away from fundamentals one day or pivot or whatever word that you're done unprecedented unprecedented and maybe move on to resilience and what we what 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 will we be better off for and hearing her talk about all the things that she's grown or all the ways she's grown in the past few 
months and reading more or anything else, Brad. I mean, there are like it, it's hard, but there are there have to be silver linings that we grab onto. Yeah, just hearing hearing that teen talk about it. It seems illegal to see my friends. That's tough. That's tough to hear a young person say that. But there's light at the end of the tunnel, so hopefully we'll get there and uh, get back to normal. I want to quickly continue the conversation on the Global News Health Series on mental health during COVID-19. In our previous segment, just before 8 o'clock, we heard a feature on teen mental health. And, you know, I think one of the things that we as grown-ups sometimes forget, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody specific here, I just, they sort of, you know, collectively we can sometimes forget how resilient kids are, how resilient young people are. And, uh, Loren, you made a comment off the air in our text uh, regarding how things are so different now compared to what it would have been like for us as teenagers 30 years ago. Yeah, and I get there's still a long way to go with the conversations around mental health and the stigma that's still attached to it. But when you think of the words that the kids already know at a really young age, uh, you know, words like anxiety or depression or things to watch for, the conversations they have really, really young about bullying and being kind to one another and, and all the things that were were discussed when we were growing up, but not in the sense of being okay to say, I feel A, B, C, or D. And I even think about, you know, Project 11, which we highlighted with the True North Foundation, which goes into schools to speak about mental health. That's happening uh, over the last couple of weeks. And and the kids have come home talking about all sorts of things. And I think, oh, thank God. And, and it's just natural, Greg. It's like just part of their conversation to know certain terms, to be accepting of different people who might be struggling with other things. And yeah, again, it's not perfect. There's so much more work to be done. But man, we were not talking like that. Like that when I was 10, 11, 12, 13. No, the awareness of so many things in our world, period, that young people have is uh, far and away superior to the way I think uh, I had it uh, back when I was growing up. And and uh, I've had the benefit and the privilege to reconnect with some of my friends from junior high school. And we've come to the the distinct understanding and belief that we sort of raised one another <laughs> based on on the lack of conversations our parents had with us about certain things, the lack of awareness that we had about others. And so when I hear my kids speaking to their friends about the things that they discuss and are aware of and are sensitive to, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, you mentioned bullying, Brett, and I think in grade nine, you know, I, I went through a situation, I look back on it, and the attitude was, yeah, that's part of growing up. You just sort of have to deal with it, mm-hmm. regardless of the reasons for it. And I think we've changed our minds on that. It's sort of like hazing, and some of the things that were just part of growing up now are, hold on, are these necessary just because our parents went through it, our aunts and uncles went through it? It means we have to go through, and most kids are saying, no, we don't have to do this. That's great, because it should not be a rite of passage. You know, I've spoken before of my experience being bullied as a, as a kid, and it, it's the kind of thing that leaves a, a permanent scar, and it, it can be something that some people might not be able to shake ever, right? It can, it can sort of sh- shape you in, in a negative way if you can't sort of figure out how to deal with it in a, in a constructive way. And uh, it's, you know, I just, there are memories I don't like to revisit because it just sort of, I, I, like I can see myself in grade eight standing in the hall, you know, and one of the, my classmates calling me a fatty and saying, you know, I'm surprised you can breathe because your neck is so fat. You know, like I just, the <laughs> I don't like revisiting that memory. So the fact that kids are talking about this in a good way brings me hope. Well, and so often, Loren, that was passed off as us just kids being kids. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on. We also very quickly realized that uh, someone that was a bully was maybe getting bullied somewhere else, and quite often that meant they were getting bullied at home. Right. There's both sides. There's the person who's being victimized and the person who's doing the bullying, and they both are in pain. The one thing I still think, I mean, there's many things, but one thing I, I still would like to see in schools is how often are kids being encouraged to go see the counselor just for daily chats, right? Is, it, is there still the stigma of saying I have to go see Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so and ooh, why? Because I do remember in high school people making that trip to, to, to visit the high school counselor um, and it being a thing. And so I still think we need to make it a point where it's every single day or once a week or once a month, you get to speak with a 
psychologist or a counselor, someone who's working on your mental health, so that it's just like a trip to the doctor. Should you know, be part I, of the schedule. It should just be part of the schedule. It's my turn now to to visit with so and so, and then I can tell her or him all the things that are bugging me, or maybe there's nothing. But make it normal, so it's not like because you still hear, yeah, I'm seeing a counselor, like in a whispered voice, and that shouldn't be. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Question of the day at cjob.com. Brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And the question is, what do you think of the province's proposed loosened restrictions, which could take effect next weekend? Your options are, I approve. They're hit and miss. Too much too soon? Or not enough, let's get on with it. And so far at cjob.com, 40% say too much too soon. So cast your vote, cjob.com. We've also just thrown that up on Twitter, at 680cjob. Mackling, what are we doing at 935? Well, we're going to talk to two members of the city of uh, the Winnipeg Police Service, rather, canine unit. And these uh, gentlemen uh, work with dogs. They're on the canine unit, the canine patrol, and the relationship that these gentlemen in this case have with their partners is uh, very unusual. It's very intimate. So we're going to learn a little bit more about what they do and also a memorial that they're planning to create in honor of those members of the canine unit with four legs that have lost their lives in service to our community. And a reminder that just after 9 o'clock, because it's Friday, it's our weekly Gab with Gabby. Gabrielle Marchand, host of Global News Morning, will join us live for a fun Friday chat. Since moving 680 CJOB from Polo Park to 201 Portage, life has been nothing if not unusual. One of the benefits of working downtown, of course, is the abundance of easily accessible shops and restaurants just steps away from Portage and Maine. And of course, we've been unable to really and truly and fully appreciate those yet, Brett. And the area to the northwest of that intersection, which is where 201 Portage sits, is home to some incredibly popular places to shop and eat in normal times. It's also home to the ever-evolving Red River College campus, as well as a giant parcel of land which was once home to the Public Safety Building and Civic Parkade. That property, along with many storefronts and century-old buildings, have, Loren, I'm trying to take a positive approach on this, the opportunity for new life post-pandemic. Yeah, I think that's what the goal would be because so many things have changed in the past year. But at the same time, as we move forward, what will the future look like for the Exchange District Biz? And they want public to engage with them on this project, which aims to create guidance for the priorities of this district in developing the future of this historic part of the city. And David Pinsato is the Executive Director of the Exchange District Biz. Good morning, David. Good morning. Well, tell us about this initiative to create this plan for the future. What What is, is, is there a plan already and you want people to weigh in or you want people to weigh in to create the plan? Well, this is just sort of uh, one one piece of it. So we've actually been engaging with uh, a lot of different stakeholders holders over this past uh just over a year now, I would say. Um, we've been doing a lot of background research. This is a project that we're doing in uh, collaboration with the city because we want this to be uh, officially recognized. Um, and it's really the impetus is to sort of say we've had a number of really great um, periods of growth in the exchange district since the 1970s when it was spared from the wrecking ball. <laughs> um, and we kind of came to the end of the the plan that was in place for the last, it's been about 20 years. And uh, we've seen the results of some decision-making that feels a little bit arbitrary or maybe unfocused, unguided. So we're working on setting what the vision is for the next 30 years and, uh, you know, helping to make some recommendations and and shape that the way that that growth goes. Uh, David, I uh, emphasize the positivity of this conversation that uh, was we were planning to have with you, but I have to ask you about that arbitrary <laughs> and those uh, unguided decisions. Could you elaborate on those a little bit so that we, we're, we're aware of the things that maybe we don't want to repeat? <laughs> sure. I mean, I mean, there's been a number of controversial moves, uh, you know, just, just the way certain things have been done with public infrastructure certain developments that have been allowed or certain developments that have not been allowed. You know, different people have different opinions on each one of those. (laughs) 
But the fact is that they're controversial, and the common theme that we were hearing, not just from our members, but from residents and from, from the broader community, is that the Exchange District has seemed... It has seemed like the city has lost a sense of focus and direction for the area, and that's what's always allowed it to thrive in the past. So, you know, going back to the mid-70s when we finally recognized that this was a special part of the city, the early 80s was the core area initiative, and there was a real vision for the area. We saw the first residential development with uh, the Ashdown Warehouse building. We saw the development of the Art Space building, the Travelers building. We saw this really great generative period of growth in the early to mid-80s. It kind of petered out. And then in the late 90s, we came up with another strategic action plan. That one was also led by the biz. There was no biz in the early 80s. and, and that actually culminated with the development of Waterfront Drive and the East Exchange. All of that flowed from that sort of visioning process and setting some strategies and priorities that the city adhered to, that the biz adhered to, that people participated in. And now that uh, you know, we've kind of come to the end of the cycle for that, it has felt like decisions are being made um, without any kind of common goal. And so we just want to help focus that. Developers are asking for it. Building owners are asking for it. Businesses are asking for it. Residents are asking for it. They're sort of saying, okay, there's still a lot of growth happening, but how do we focus it? What do we want it to look like? This has become such a beloved part of the city and, you know, a real hub of activity in normal times. So how do you recapture and build off of that post-pandemic? There has been a tremendous amount of goodwill and support. This this area is really like a small village. It's a, it's like a community, um, and uh, and the people who not just the people who work here and live here, but the people who come here regularly, they really love it, and they've supported our businesses in a tremendous fashion. Um, you know, when we opened Bijou Patio, that was that was absolutely something to support the businesses, but also to let the community come back and enjoy. And we got a great response from that. Um, the restaurants, they've all been holding on. They're not doing well. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to uh, color coat uh, something that's, that's a, a difficult time for everybody. But they're holding on because people love these places and they love this neighborhood. And uh, that goodwill, I think, is going to propel us um, you know, further once the pandemic is over. Yeah, David, you mentioned the, the love of some of those restaurants. I have personally, when I've had to come into the city for certain errands, will make a point of coming to the exchange just so I can pick up what used to be a regular for me, the salad at Bodegos. And oh, so yeah. I, I, you know, you have these different places that once you get to know them, you really, you, you really love them. You become those regulars. I'm, I'm curious what we do about, cause, because the exchange to me is that part of the city that even Winnipeggers will end up there and go, huh, this is really great in here. It's almost like they didn't know. That, that that existed. And so it's like marketing within our own, much so the downtown still tries to get people to come downtown, stay downtown. The exchange biz, I think, does it have a bit of that challenge too, of just even marketing to its own? Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's still this kind of secret. I, I find that that when people discover the exchange, that's the version of the exchange that they think of as the exchange. So for me, it was the early 90s. But that's when I, you know, in my role now, I've been learning about, you know, how people like Ray England from Toad Hall Toys was part of that first wave in the late 70s and early 80s. There was a big group of people there um, that that really saw the potential for this neighborhood. And I, f- I feel like every five to 10 years, there's a whole new group of people that discover the area. And that momentum just keeps building. It's been slow, but I think it's building really significantly. You see it in the tremendous demand for residential. People want to live here. You know, we've got these residential developments that go up, and they get filled up pretty quick. Um, it, it's, it's the only area of the city that still has that historic feeling of the way that the streets are set up. And, you know, you're right. We, we, we need to get our Winnipeggers aware of what's going on here more so. Uh, when we have people here, you know, in normal times from places like Manhattan or Montreal, even we had a, a heritage um, expert from Ireland who worked extensively in Europe, they walk around with their mouths agape looking at all the buildings. And, uh, you know, the, the, this individual from, from Manhattan, he, he was shocked when he learned that this wasn't the most expensive real estate in the city. Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, in years past, until I got out of Winnipeg and, and visited Chicago and New York, and now lucky enough to have been to Europe a couple times, that whole notion that this was this tre- treasure trove and was amazing collection. And then I went to Montreal a couple of years ago and you went, Wow, Winnipeg does really have something special because a lot of times, David, I think it can come across as hyperbole for the locals that, that, oh, you don't know, you don't understand what you have. I think you're accurate in your last comments that 
to a certain extent, there are still times when we don't appreciate what's in our own backyard. Absolutely. But I think more and more people are discovering it. And, uh, and, and, I, and that's, that's part of why this is such a good time to be focusing on a vision, because there is, like I said, there is more pressure for residential development. This is becoming more of a neighborhood in the core of the city. And, uh, and that is because people are discovering it. So we want to make sure that as the city grows and adopts and accepts the exchange district and more people move here and, and, and work here, um, that we shape that and we don't lose what's special about it at the same time. David Pensato, Executive Director of the Exchange District Biz, joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you so much for the time. Very much appreciated, sir. Thank you very much. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb mentioned earlier this week that I finally made the leap. I got myself a 4K TV. I don't know that you can even buy just a regular HD TV anymore. I think they might all be 4K. But I made the jump to 4K, ordered a TV from Advance. They dropped it off this week. Thank you very much, Advance. And thank you, January Warehouse Clearance. I was able to take advantage of a good deal. But they told me that they're particularly busy right now because... And I guess this is probably an annual bump. A lot of people, Greg, go out and buy new TVs, bigger TVs for the Super Bowl. I guess just as long as it's not to have a Super Bowl party, we will be okay with that. But yeah, I think it's the, uh, I always wonder if I'm saying this word correctly, impetus? Impetus, that's correct. Uh, For purchasing a brand new TV is the Super Bowl or perhaps the Stanley Cup playoffs if you're more hockey inclined. So yes, I... um, is there any way I can get on your list of people? Could I be <laughs> one of your two people? Because for as big a TV as I have in my house, your, your TV is even bigger, Brett. Although I don't know how many of us are going to be able to actually stay awake long enough to see the end of the game because it's probably about a 13-hour broadcast, Loren. <laughs> yeah. And then when you add in the halftime show, that's uh, so much longer than so, usual. What and is the halftime show? This is what I was just going to ask. Because I think that's it's the, the only... weekend, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I'm just looking into Correct. this now. And is and are they, like, is it going to be in the stadium still, just with the, the, some of the fans? Like, is it the same as usual? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I've paid less attention to the Super Bowl than any other year. We when That's... we spoke to Bob on Monday, he you know he suggested that the the Chiefs would be showing up either the next day or Wednesday. They're not going to Tampa until Saturday, like a regular road game. Hmm. They're just spending one night in Tampa, and we're so used to by now being overwhelmed with the crazy reports of of the crazy reporter who does what they need to do in order to catch the attention of the players on media day or the silly stories that come out about the lesser-known players or the lesser-known stories about the more well-known players. And there's just been none of that this week. Yeah, and this is what's fascinating to me too because this is something, like I've said before, I'm not an NFL fan, but I will always watch the Super Bowl, sometimes just for the food, sometimes just for the halftime show, and I have no clue. I'm like Googling who's in it. Who's in the halftime? Where's it being played? Like, I, I've got no knowledge of this, but I will. I do get excited just to have an excuse to eat badly because, of course, <laughs> I have not been eating badly at all during this pandemic. No, no, of course not. Just celery and uh, raisins, right? That's they're, right. They're using cardboard cutouts to help fill the stands mm. for the Super Bowl. So I guess they're, they're going to have some fans, uh, 25,000 fans. Oh, well, it's Florida, will be in right? Person. <laughs> Everything's wide open in Florida right so, now. Yeah, so 25,000 fans will be there. And they're going to fill the rest of the seats with cardboard cutouts. I'm just watching a video here. It looks like there's one cardboard cutout that actually has the face of a puppy on it. Uh, so they're going to put 30,000 cutouts in the seats. But yeah, even I, I haven't. I guess I haven't been able to get super excited about it either. I'm not a huge sports fan, but I always pay attention to the Super mm. Bowl. And it's a compelling story this year, and I have every reason to tune in because as uh, it's kind of a Michael Jordan situation. I respect everything he's done. He's the, the greatest of all time, that being Tom Brady. But I cheer against him every single time, so I hope that Kansas City crushes Tampa Bay <laughs> on Sunday night. You're not alone in that. There are a lot of people in that same boat. Uh, one of the We talk about often the proposition or the prop bets that you can lay on the side oh, yeah. one of them is which fact will get mentioned first on the broadcast 
Brady's age or the fact that it's his 10th Super Bowl. So you can bet on that. And another one of the proposition bets have to do with the halftime show. One is will Ariana Grande show up? And one of the other ones is will The Weeknd mention Canada? That's something you can bet on, yes or no. Okay. Well, if you tune in. Where is he from? Montreal? I think he's from, I don't know, I think he's from Toronto, but I don't know. This is where my knowledge is of the whole thing. I got got nothing on the Super Bowl. I got nothing on the weekend, which is for shame by me, for sure. But um, there, this is how my life is going. It all just blurs together. Toronto, place of birth. Oh, okay. I was going to just guess Canada City, like uh, (laughs) South Park. She is faster than a speeding bullet. She came <laughs> running down the hall. <laughs> I, I just heard, all I heard was, sorry. And I looked, it was just like a lightning bolt went by Gabrielle Marchand. Gabby, it's her Gab with Gabby, host of Global News Morning. And uh, she rolled in at 9.05. Did you catch your breath yet? I have caught my breath. I'm sort of like the Flash, but a Gumby version where it's awkward limbs <laughs> flailing about, but fast, awkward, flailing limbs. So there you go. I'm here. And I'm ready to party. What's up? Greg, I understand you have something you have to say to uh, Miss Gabrielle. Ah, yeah. Um, Uh I know one of the things you wanted to discuss. Did you discuss this yesterday in my absence? uh, The uh, most valuable thing you ever lost or left behind? Did you ever find it? That was on the list of things we're going to talk to you about. And, um, well, I was moving to British Columbia and I stopped in Regina I had vehicle problems, and I had to take a cab from the place that was fixing my vehicle to uh, another place where I was going to be staying. And I left my video camera in the back of the cab. And this is in 1994. And so something that you might have made have paid for five, six hundred dollars in the last two or three years. Um, I think it was nineteen hundred dollars I'd paid for this <gasps> this digital video camera. And um, well. Guess what? The cab driver sought me out, came back and said, is this your bag? I found it in the back seat. So applause to that gentleman in Regina, Saskatchewan, for all the times I spend um, giving Saskatchewan a hard time. As uh, many of you know, it's out of jealousy because the people there (laughs) are fantastic. And some of my favorite people are from Saskatchewan. Including Case in point, Gabrielle Marchand. That's a lovely gesture. I'm so happy that he returned that. Can you imagine if your video camera stayed in the back of a cab, the kind of spicy things that would... It would see. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a really good point. If only it had a digital link, if there was such a thing as the internet, then it might have been a, a good investment to leave it behind. Oh, but the memories God. that I would not have captured had it, uh, you know, had it not been returned. Uh, I, I'm, geez, I'm getting sweaty palms just thinking about it uh, 30 years ago. Live a lot goes in down cab. in the back of a cab. Oh, yeah. A lot can go down <laughs> or come out of you. So. <laughs> What's the most, actually, fun fact, I did throw up on myself once in a cab. Oh, no. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I, I ran back into the house. Well, it was actually, it kind of went more down my jacket. It was like a, like a baby being burped. It was just like, bleh, and, uh, and it went down my jacket and then came out. So I ran into the house and I said, please let me clean this up. My God, I'm so embarrassed. Anyway, uh, to be 28 again. So, uh, actually, no, I think it was 32. So, Gabby, <laughs> have you ever lost anything uh, valuable? I like- just laughed so hard at your story that I rammed my face face into the microphone so if you're hearing (laughs) anyone listening out there that's why I I did lose mine's a little bit I don't know if it's more in sweet less pukey in the back of a cab but I left this stuffed tiger somewhere I had no idea where as a kid Mm -hmm. and then I found it I found the very same stuffed tiger. I think it was mine. Maybe I took some other kid's stuffed tiger, but I am 97.9% sure it was my stuffed tiger. Years later at a dental office. I was just at a dentist's office and I was like, that's my tiger. Was it yours or was it just like the the same model? I, I think it was my tiger and I still don't know how it ended up there, but I insisted on taking it and I told them like, this is mine. And then I took it home. Really? See what you want and you take it. That's the lesson to be learned. Was this. was this just last week or like you're talking when you were still a kid? No, I was still a kid. It, but it was like a, it was a good few years later. That's what was so strange that this tiger came back to me and found me in a traumatic time of having dental work done. 
kind of dental work were you getting done? Do you remember? I think it was just like a teeth cleaning, oh, okay. nothing too serious. But <laughs> that can be pretty traumatic, depending on how much time passes between appointments. Um, another thing we talked about this week: How do you have people labeled in your phone, and would they like it? Like, do you have any mystery contacts in there? Like Cam Poitras was saying, he's got a guy in his phone labeled "loser." He has no idea who it is. I think this is okay to tell on CGOB. I wouldn't tell this story on our morning show necessarily. I had somebody labeled D-bag in my phone. <laughs> okay. And I, yeah, the <laughs> phone, and I'd be like, who is this? And I'm not answering because for some reason they're labeled D-bag in my phone. So it's, it's probably a good sign that I shouldn't answer. So the mystery remains there as well. What about you guys? Do you have interesting labels for people in your phone? Loren? Well, I, like I had said earlier this week, however, I, whatever I met you, whatever the moment is that, you know, it could be just reporter, it could be, um, I'm interviewing you and you might be like snow drive, snow clearing guy, Brett or Brett, Brent, I have that in my phone, then Brett's name I have misspelled and I refuse to change it. Uh, I've had a couple kind of not nice ones. And, and so, yeah, like I, it, it makes it really hard and I have to go through that like algorithm in my head, you know, like that, what, 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 what would I, okay, I met them here. It was in Toronto. It was on the 606 and then I went this. Yeah, they're called medallion. You know, like it doesn't make any sense. I have to go figure out a weird way to, that they would be in my phone. So yeah, for sure I do. I don't know why. I like it that way. That sounds like a smart system, Lauren. I like that too. And I refuse to change. In fact, you guys know Tyler Walsh, who worked for Economic Development. Well, a long, long time ago, like 15 years ago, he was a producer at Global. And when I call the newsroom at Global, my phone still says Tyler Walsh. <laughs> really? It's 15 years later. And so the, phone news, the newsroom will call me too. And I'll be like, oh, hello. And it's not him, but I, re- I refuse to change it. When, when somebody from CJOB calls me, it says Greg Mackling home. Really? <laughs> I don't know why. It just does. Are you living at the office again? Uh, yeah, that's exactly the connotation there, isn't it? We also talked this week, Gabrielle, about the product you didn't know you needed until you got it. Like, for example, uh, when I finally got an HDTV in 2008, I had been stubborn. For whatever reason, I was thinking, I don't need one of those. And then I got it. And as soon as I turned it on, I said, "There's that's it. There's no going back. For Cam Poitras, as, to bring him up again, he for him it was a fountain pen. Oh. Very mature, I would say. Please, please forgive me for what I'm about to say. I didn't have a TV, period. I haven't owned my own TV my whole adult life, which is strange because I work in TV and seems quite rude, actually, to everyone in my industry. (laughs) But I recently bought a TV and it's been life changing. I have my own TV and it feels so good. Your very own first television. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a big deal, and I spend a lot of time with it. We're basically in a relationship. What, and what kind of TV? Uh, I think it's a... Uh, oh, yikes. <laughs> this is where it gets embarrassing. Let's move Doesn't on to matter. somebody else here. It's big. It's flat. It does the trick. I have a remote. I use it. I have one of those sound bars, too. Okay. Fancy, right? Look at that. How about you guys, Loren? Is there something that you recently came to own that's life-changing? Well, I talked earlier this week about my um, the push start for the car, mm. you know, where I don't have to remember my keys. I just keep it in my pocket. But also, and this is the saddest thing in the world, I can't get over how much I love these slippers my father-in-law bought me as a joke gift for Christmas that are like mop slippers because I was always complaining about my floor being dirty and having to clean it all the time. So he bought them as a joke because he's like, you can just walk around the house and it'll clean them. But then that's what I do. And now I wear them all the time because they're also warm and my husband hates them. Like every time he's like, I'm pretty sure it's like a real turn off to see me in these things every time I'm walking around the house. But the floor stays cleaner. And it's like probably only a $9 purchase and they're getting low and I, I hope he buys me another pair soon. <laughs> Valentine's Day is coming up. listening, father-in-law, I could really use another pair of mop slippers. You don't <laughs> dip your foot in a bucket or anything like that. I spray the floor sometimes. Like I have this bottle of vinegar and water and I spray the floor and then I skate around on it. and get a little <laughs> exercise. The floor gets clean. The feet stay warm. Video, please. Yes, agreed. The mop dance. I want to see it. She's doing it right now. Did you try? I got any- them on right now. Have you tried any poutine for La Poutine Week, Gabby? Chibo. Oh my goodness. It was incredible. Hey, 
You know what? Greg Mackling, how do you feel about poutine? Are you going to try some? I love poutine. Uh, there's lots of different ways to do it. I like the traditional, just the, the gravy with the cheese curds, but some of the creative ones are fantastic. Jonesy's up in East St. Paul has one with uh, buffalo chicken on oh, it that I yeah. like. And I like when they kind of, you know, take uh, another dish and turn it into a poutine, like say like a, a taco salad poutine or something. So, yeah, I'm getting ideas for supper now. I like that you mentioned the old just cheese curds and gravy because I'm also a poutine purist. Pu- a poutine purist. Her name is Gabrielle Marchand. It's our weekly Gab with Gabby. She is the host of Global News Morning weekdays, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Global Winnipeg. Gabby, thank you so much. Happy Friday, everyone. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, if we were doing a text contest, as we like to do, uh, this, I think, would have been the winner today from Leslie on the subject of houses, your favorite TV home. And Leslie has hearkened to a show that uh, you like, Loren, and she she gives such a wonderful description here. The Coen's Mansion from the O.C. Loved how it was situated on a hill overlooking the ocean. The lush backyard featured a pool house, infinity edge pool, a hot tub, an outdoor fireplace, and breathtaking sunset views of the surrounding California landscape. Although the exterior and interior scenes were shot in different homes, sets were based on rooms from one of them, and they built a mock pool house, it is still an amazing property. Wow, that is a good description. And I said to her, that is uh, was a great house, but also a great show. And I've actually, because she texted that earlier, now trying to figure out how I can start watching that again. <laughs> really? Yeah. Did you figure it out? No, I don't know where it lives or if it lives anywhere or if I have to buy what, I don't even know. Uh, hold you have on to get the VHS tapes. I'm gonna. I'm pulling up my Just Watch app right now. Yeah, uh, because is that an this, app that you have on your phone, or is it a website? It's Brett? an app. Okay. And uh, the OC is available on, oh, on Prime on Amazon. Is it first season anyway? That's what it says. <clears throat> oh, is that Canada or U.S.? Oh, I Sometimes I get it. fooled by that too. This yeah. show I used to back in the day. I'm trying to think of what year it was out. Um, I would sit in my bachelor apartment on River Avenue in Osborne, and I would call my sister and put her on speaker while she was in Toronto, and we'd watch the show together. I'd be like, Marissa, what are you up to? Ryan, what? No. Seth, come on. We like to imagine ourselves as a tightly knit team here on The Start, Loren. Yeah, for sure. And I think for as much as we do spend time together, which would be mostly virtually these days, we also spend a lot of time apart. We want you to imagine, if you will, a job this morning where your work partner comes home with you every single day. My dog, well, she's been with me since eight weeks old. Watch him. We go to work together, come home together. It's a huge bond. Hey, here, sit. That's uh, like a girl. It's a great working relationship. She's my my best friend, my closest partner. When the day does come that you know she's not with us and our, our family and our unit, it'll be nice to know that Veda will have a place to be honored. This way, back. No problem. Here. That is the voice of Constable David Weiss, one member of the Winnipeg Police Service K9 unit, joining us this morning. Good morning, Constable Weiss. Sorry, I put, I put on the wrong line. Constable Weiss, can you hear us now? Yes, good morning. Good, good morning. Good to have you here. And also on the line is Constable Justin Casavan. Good morning, Constable. Hi there. This morning, our guests are here to tell us about the Winnipeg Police K9 Memorial. And Constable Casavan, let's start with you. How long have you been a member of this unit? And if you would, please tell us about your former partner, Banner. Sure. So uh, I was a member of the unit from 2014 till uh, the end of uh, 2019 but I actually got paired up with uh, Banner in 2013 so Winnipeg has a puppy rearing program so we have our own breeding program here and I was fortunate enough to get paired up with uh, the young Malinois that I ultimately named Banner uh, in May of 2013 so I took him with me uh, home where I raised him as a pup. At that time, I was actually working in our helicopter unit, the flight operations unit. 
so he would come with me to work. Uh, he flew around with the helicopter with, uh, with myself and the pilot and things like that, not on a regular basis, but, uh, I mean, he was with us all the time there. And then we moved into the canine unit in the spring of 2014, where we formally got trained and went on to have a, uh, super fun and, uh, successful, uh, five-year career. Unfortunately, uh, December 14th, or sorry, December 4th, 2019, uh, Banner ended up uh, passing away. So that night, we ended up uh, tracking two suspects who had uh, bailed from a stolen vehicle. Got Banner out. He did his thing. We tracked the house. Got a couple people into custody. Went home, and uh, we were working the night shift. So went home. I went to bed, and woke up a couple hours later in the afternoon. And my wife had noticed that he had uh, unfortunately thrown up, and it was kind of unusual for him to do that and that he didn't throw up so we made an appointment took him to the vet and uh you know walking in he he seemed fine sort of thing and he had just caught a couple bad guys he was in the prime of his career and in my opinion Mm -hmm. and prime of his life but unfortunately he had a very aggressive cancer that had developed and we uh there wasn't much options other than really putting him down at that time so he, uh, that was a choice that uh, that we made, and uh, yeah. So unfortunately, uh, that was my last day with my partner. I'm so sorry to hear about your loss, Constable. I know the the tight bond that comes from just people with their animals in general, let alone working side by side with them every day. And I'm I'm curious in your work with him, what sort of comfort it was to have him there in terms of just uh, how you work together and the kind of work you did. Uh, he was. Uh, you know, uh, unbelievable. Like all, all police officers of uh, a two-legged uh, variety are all exceptional people. The the ones with four legs are even beyond that. Uh, they go into everything ahead of us. They're leading leading the charge, and they do it uh, without even thinking twice about it. Uh, there's many situations, and Banner was uh, trained specifically for tracking, so we would be tracking suspects from all sorts of incidents. Some of them may have just been, you know, property crimes, uh, but some of them were more serious in nature where we were tracking in uh, homicides and shootings and things like that. Um, He was also a specialized trained dog to work with our tactical support team. And, uh, you know, those guys, they're they're the elite members of our service that deal with the high-risk situations and some of the most dangerous situations. But ultimately, um, canine is still often the first member of the police service that's going to make entry into a structure uh, where there is a high-risk situation taking place. So um, it's a lot of comfort. And I know myself, as well as the TAP guys, other members of the service, they always felt much more secure and comfortable going into situations knowing that that partner of ours, uh, our dogs, had gone into those rooms before any uh, humans did. So, Constable David Weiss is also with us. And Constable Weiss, uh, the community work, when you're not out in the field, so to speak, that, that seems like an important part of what you do. Can you tell us about heading out to places like schools and the, the reactions that the dogs get? Yeah, that's a very important part of our unit. Uh, all the members uh, have attended to schools, attended to meet and greets, attended to events. Uh, I know myself, um, this year's a little different with COVID and whatnot, but every February is I love to read month. So Veda and I would usually attend schools around the city and we would be able to do uh, readings to the class. Um, after that's done, uh, Veda would usually come in, we'd do a couple things for the kids and they would just love it. Their eyes would be wide open and paying uh, attention, uh, probably a little bit better than they would be for the teachers. Constable, we uh, we played a tiny bit of the audio from the video uh, that I shared on my my Twitter account earlier today. Gives a fantastic look at the unit and the work that you do. Uh, but you said you were talking about Veda, your best friend, your closest partner, and uh, Constable Casavant touched on this a little bit. As I'm sure takes you know a unique type of animal to do the work that Veda and the other dogs do. Does it take a unique human officer to? do the work that you do on this unit? I mean, you're so close with the animals and and uh, it's really a, a long-term relationship, isn't it? It is. It's, it's very long and it's a full-time commitment. We are with our partners and our dogs uh, 24-7. 
the only time that Veda is not with me is usually if I'm going away on holidays. We have our kennel facilities that other officers can come and take care of our dogs. But she is with me 24-7. It's a full-time commitment. Uh, but it's very, very rewarding. I think all the individuals that are in our unit have a very high drive. And uh, it matches up pretty good with the dogs that they have as partners. And much the same the way the officers are putting their lives on the line, the dogs are too. And so you're starting this police canine memorial to be a permanent structure to honor these working animals and their construction of the the memorial is going to happen i think at the canine unit building in transcona if i'm not mistaken so tell us a bit about the project and and how can we get involved constable cassava so the project we uh kind of started doing this uh 2016 is when we kind of conceptualized the idea and it took us about a year to do a lot of research and look into you know has this really been done anywhere and uh, Edmonton has something uh, similar that I reached out to them and uh, got a lot of information from them initially, as well as some other uh, departments in, in the U.S. who've also done similar type projects. Uh, so it took us some time to be able to conceptualize the ideas to what we wanted to do here for our partners. And ultimately, we wanted a, a final resting place for uh, our partners, but also somewhere where the public uh, at large could potentially come and visit uh, and have some access to. So myself personally, I know I'm losing my partner. The uh, the support that I got, not only from the police service, but from the public at large, was absolutely overwhelming. My, my phone and my email uh, was overloaded with people um, sending support to me for the loss of my partner. So they have a very strong, unique bond with the public at large. So we wanted to give that opportunity to the public to be a part of this project um, by being able to contribute to it with the purchase of memory stones. And ultimately what a memory stone is, is that it's uh, stones that we're going to have that are going to form part of the sidewalk or the approach to the actual memorial site. And so as you're walking up to it, there would be stones that will be donations from the public at large, corporations and or foundations that'll have messages on it or names of, of people or potentially their own, uh, even personal dogs and, and what have you. So really it's, it's unique to the individual who wants to donate. Um, and the Memorial Garden itself is going to have a statue, life-size statue, size statue of a Belgian Malinois that essentially will be standing guard protecting the fallen canines uh, that'll be remembered in the Memorial. So it's kind of a unique uh, thing. There's, there's, Nothing really like the design that we have here in Canada, and that's we're going to have uh, columbarium style, our phone booth style columbariums that the dogs uh, and center urns could be kept in, as well as engravings on all of them to uh, to represent all the different dogs of our service. So. so where do we go then? Is there somewhere online we can go to to make this to to acquire one of these memory stones? Yeah, absolutely. So we do have uh, an online uh, web page for the Canine Memorial. Um, I'll let Dave Weiss maybe uh, speak to that just a little bit more. He's he's been a little bit more involved in that end of the project. So, yeah, I think if you if you do your search and you um, direct yourself to the City of Winnipeg site, there is a link that you can link to our uh, Canine site, which has the memorial link. So as Justin said, we do have a large memorial stone and a standard memorial stone that the public can purchase that will be set into the sidewalk. Um, There's also an option for a standalone donation if someone wants to do that as well. And we are also asking for, you know, and looking for some support from our corporate and business uh, community as well. And they, uh, they can get a hold of us through that website as well. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we very much appreciate uh, the time that you provided and, of course, the, the brave work that you and your partners uh, provide for this community. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.